kid, I remember mum and dad trying to help us train for sports day and I shot put was a brick and, you know, I had this stupid dirt pad I used for long jump and, you know, sprint around with no shoes on a dirt um, clay pan. So to be able to then go to like, you know, a rubber athletics track and a heated pool and be able to do gymnastics and certainly don't experience those things until you get to secondary school and, and realise there's a whole other world out there that some kids have been living their whole lives. Hello and welcome to Life on the Land, a Grazy Her podcast telling stories of rural and regional women across Australia. Hi, I'm Sky Manson, your host for this episode. From a school of the air childhood, where afternoons meant sticky hands from the molasses feed run of the 90s drought, to riding bikes, chasing birds and starting mini businesses, there emerged a girl with a quiet confidence landing her as a lawyer, an ag tech innovator, and an exciting new advocate with an inimitable spark. Even in the wee hours of the early morning while soothing sleepless babies, Alicia Parker is excited about the opportunity to spend time not catching up on sleep, but working. Alicia's from Clermont in central Queensland. Daytime means working full-time as a lawyer remotely, And night times mean fine-tuning her innovative website, cattlesales.com.au, which she co-founded in 2015. There's also two young children in the mix and a handful of other community projects, not to mention the fact that she's the Queensland finalist for the AgriFutures Rural Woman of the Year Award this year. So we asked her, what is the perfect childhood recipe to produce such a go-getter of a woman? By the sounds of things, it's just a freedom to explore life's possibilities. Yeah, I lived a pretty innocent childhood um, on a cattle station, as most bush kids do doing School of the Air. But I think I was more so aspiring to get one of my little business benches off the ground, like sewing pillows or something. So, yeah, I think that was more what I was seeking, is that one day I'd have a maybe a successful business. I did literally sew and sell pillows for a while. I used to make tomato sauce and sell it at the local markets. And I, I had a um, horse marketing sort of business for a little while in my early teenage years with miniature horses because I used to muck around with those a bit. So, yeah, I, I did have a few little things like that that I used to try and earn a few coins on the side. <laughs> Nothing ever took off, of course. But anyway, it was a start. An entrepreneurial spirit from the beginning, would you say? I guess so. I've never really looked at it like that. But yeah, I was always working on something or trying to make something or get something off the off the ground as a kid. I guess I credit my mum with that. She used to always inspire us to um, you know, to to do different things and yeah, just led from there, I guess. So tell me a bit about your days as a as a child and how they were structured, school of the air, and then no doubt you're off playing and working in the afternoons. Well, School of the Air back then uh, was so different. You know, my kids are doing, um, well, it's not called School of the Air anymore. They call it School of Distance Education because we're no longer, you know, talking on the old two-way radio. They're on, online. But um, it still affectionately gets called School of the Air, of course. But, um, yeah, my days were just a marvellous um, childhood. Like, I loved doing School of the Air. It was so flexible and um, I was fortunate although mum had four of us in the schoolroom uh, somehow she balanced it and and we managed to get through our work and out the door you know usually by lunchtime so um, 
school days were just talking on this crackly radio once a week and um, doing our papers and sending them in at the post office in town and probably the highlights of the year were going to mini school and seeing all our little mates that we talked to once a week um, on the radio and yeah afternoons we filled in um, on the cattle property like we were in a pretty bad drought in the early 90s I just remember running out a lot of um, molasses and stuff and obviously we'd be part of mustering and fencing and um, you know just generally playing as a kid on a farm bike riding and chasing birds rearing potties Um, it was yeah it was a really good um, childhood and it's one that um, yeah I'm glad that my kids are having a similar upbringing. Mm, Planted the seed so when you moved on to go to boarding school your parents actually sold that farm was that a sad time for you? It actually wasn't so Mum and dad, um, you know, we were booked in to go to boarding school like all bush kids are. And then they decided, oh, maybe we should look at selling the cattle property and get something out of a larger town so we could attend as day students, but at a, you know, boarding school um, and continue that out of town life, but be a bit closer so we didn't all have to pack up and move away. So um, they sort of looked at a few different areas and we ended up landing um, about 35 minutes out of Toowoomba. And I went to school um, at a girls' boarding school in Toowoomba, but as a day student. Um, And then I actually just remember being so excited because where I grew up, we had no, um, no, um, you know, mainstream power. We had a generator. So, and living in central Queensland, it was common to be 45 degree days in summer. So I just remember moving to our new farm and the house and turning a light switch on like a hundred times because it worked in the day. such a simple thing to to appreciate or like a fan or an air conditioner that works all night rather than when the generator gets turned off so for me I thought it was quite an exciting time and I guess because we moved to 100 acres we weren't moving into suburbia and um, I was doing school with um, girls that I had a lot in common with that were all from out western Queensland and northern New South Wales so I found the transition pretty good actually. I asked that question because I wonder if, yes, the move closer to town just really opened up your eyes to things like, I don't know, going to the movies and shopping and did that play into your love for it as well? It did and it was a surreal experience for a bit because having not known any different, like I remember, you know, when we moved, we had um, even like our town clothes and our, you know, property clothes and then when you move to somewhere more urban and, you know, you can't really just be wearing work clothes every day. And this sort of town work clothes pile all of a sudden became a bit hazy and merch, you know, like the simplest of things um, compared to what we'd been used to. But, yeah, it was amazing, like, you know, the opportunities even just at being at a large school like that, like being able to do sport. Like as a kid, I remember mum and dad trying to help us train for sports day and I shot put was a brick and you know I had this stupid dirt pad I used for long jump and you know sprint around with no shoes on a dirt um clay pan so to be able to then go to like you know a rubber athletics track and a heated pool and be able to do gymnastics and so many things that um not that you you know you're, you're deprived when you're a bush kid but you certainly don't experience those things until you get to secondary school and, and realize there's a whole other world out there that some kids have been living their whole lives when you moved closer to Toowoomba, did you lose all your connection with Claremont? No, I didn't. Thankfully, I was um, going into grade eight. So I was old enough um, to have had some really solid friendships and I'm still um, friends with all those people today. But I used to um, periodically fly back up even during 
high school and come back up and stay um, with one of my closer friends and go to some of the um, local event highlights and things over the years. So, um, and that's eventually what led to me coming back up even after my law degree, because I continued those visits and, you know, coming back and, and, but also um, being down in the Southeast corner meant that a lot of them would come down and attend ECA annually. And that was always a highlight for us. So I can continue to catch up with the out of towners every year at the ECA. So good. Yeah, you couldn't have written it like that, but the way that it sounds like things eventuated for you really gave you the best of both worlds. It did, yeah, for sure. What kind of a student were you? Well, I was fortunate that I could pull things off at the last minute. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so, um, I've got a lot better with organisation over the years, but I was always a last-minute um, assignment person, like even at uni I would rather sit up all night and type a 2000 word assignment and start at 10 p.m the night before than (laughs) start at a week before and that was how I got through school and my law degree I just um but that's just how I don't know I seem to learn and perform best was the last minute um achievements but I really enjoyed school and found it really interesting um we had a lot of subject choices at the school I was at in Toowoomba which I was very fortunate for one of which was legal studies which led to me wanting to to do law but um so yeah I always really enjoyed going to school and and doing it I was just a bit last minute on the deadlines. (laughs) So tell me a little bit about where the seed for becoming a lawyer when it started to to grow. Well um as I mentioned we were able to pick legal studies and it really stood out to me as something I wanted um to pick and I've never been big into history or geography or um, other sort of options we had or you know learning another language even though I did French for about eight years but um, but that none of that appealed to me as much as studying legal studies for some reason and um, once I started I just loved it I think a lot of it um, the process of it works with how my brain operates like it's quite clinical and there's a process and you know you can find an answer for things you just have to be able to research and then argue it and back that up and I think a lot of it maybe meshes together well because of that but um, I had a great teacher too which always um, helps I guess and I just found it so interesting and the one subject I really look forward to going and doing and and literally the seed was born from there I I remember even in grade the end of grade nine wanting to um, study law at the end of school and selecting my subjects at the end of grade 10 for that purpose you know for grade 11 and 12 and you know not choosing the hardest maths because I knew I didn't need it for law so it was for a few years I knew that's what I I really wanted to do and it's something I've turned out I've loved so thankfully I think I made the right choice. Totally so fast forwarding to 2015 which was the I'll, I'll, I'll let you tell the story. So you had an idea that was going to solve a problem and you've just explained how your mind kind of works very clinically. Tell me about what the idea was and what problem it was solving. Yeah, well, I um, finished my law degree and went back up to um, Clermont and was living and working on a family cattle station up there. And it's, yeah, like you said, I have get, uh, my brain works in solving problems and I enjoy challenges and one day um, just realised that there was a complete gap in the cattle industry in terms of um, being able to advertise and market cattle. And um, I don't know, I've never really considered that something's unachievable. So I thought, well, I'll just set about finding a way that this can be solved and spoke to um, a great friend of mine 
from school that had, that had been to school within Toowoomba, um, who was also living on a cattle station. And she agreed that, you know, it was a glaringly obvious problem. And together we built an um, online marketing and advertising platform to solve that problem, essentially. Um, and we founded it together. So, yeah, that idea started in 2015 and we launched it in 2016. So... I love, I love it that you had an idea and you're going to solve the problem, but then you actually actioned it. What, what kind of gave you the confidence to know that you could make a go of it? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know, and this sounds arrogant saying this, but I don't think we ever doubted that we could do it because Annabelle and I are both problem solvers and we certainly can't do everything and we certainly don't ha- hold every skill, but we will find a way to make it work. Either we have always upskilled ourselves or we find someone that can do the job for us. So I think once we had the idea mapped out, um, we obviously knew where our lack of skills lied and what we need. And clearly neither of us could um, write a website of this scale. So um, we utilised a web company in Brisbane and, you know, we had a design team for that sort of staff and we had a legal team do the company. And so we certainly didn't do it all ourselves. And um, hence the reason we probably didn't uh, lack the confidence at the time because we had people that could do these things for us. It was just us getting the wheels all going in the right direction, I guess. But um, yeah, we did doubt ourselves occasionally once we got into it, more so like, why did we start this? This is a nightmare. And, you know, we could have been relaxing rather than being up at 2am trying to launch this stupid business. But um, yeah, that was probably more so when the doubt crept in. <laughs> because of, of course, it was at a time where, you know, um, ag tech startups and the ag tech industry really wasn't it definitely wasn't at the stage it's at now when things were just, there was hardly anything around, was there? No, and it's so amazing now to see what's available. And, you know, the, the businesses and the solutions that have come up, up, up and, you know, problem solving that's happening is amazing. But I guess um, agriculture, as we all know, is not the most tech-savvy industry you know at the forefront but there really is a lot of tech through different commodities in agriculture but sometimes we're just a bit slower to adopt them but I think the biggest thing is um our industry is so time poor and you know hasn't always had the best connectivity to be online and things like that it's been played a big part in in agriculture being slow to the tech table I guess but um yeah back then there were no grants for startups as there are now you know every left right and center there's there's help for that sort of thing um we funded it ourselves we both sold cattle and um funded it by selling cattle um so there wasn't a lot of that startup support around no and we sort of had to dive around and find different things ourselves um but I mean I guess the good part about that is we had a we had a good understanding of how it works and how to do it ourselves because um, we, we did it all ourselves without any of that sort of assistance. But certainly it's an awesome space now and it's great to see so many new startups happening. And, and yes, it, it, it totally is, but I'm so intrigued about the early stages of it. So at that stage, what was it like building a website? Uh, it was harder than we expected. I guess, um, you know, founding it together, we, we mapped out how we wanted this website to work and, um, you know, being so naive of how a website works. I was like, you know, we, we both were like, we would like it to have an alert system. So when cattle are listed, you know, the cattlemen women find out about these cattle that match their specifications and they get an alert, like it sounds so simple, but 
when you tell a web team this in Brisbane who doesn't understand the cattle industry, it was a minefield. Like I remember um, one night they were working because they often seem to work at night and, um, and we had this meeting the next day and they said, oh, we've, you know, we've got this part of the um, website working so that uh, when someone lists 200 cows and then someone buys one, it'll reduce to 199 and, you know, the counter's working well. It'll go down one at a time as people <laughs> buy their cattle. <laughs> I'm not sure at what point in time you assume that people buy cattle one by one, but people will buy 200 or 2,000 in a mob and they were just flabbergasted. They thought it was like eBay and they had to have this, you know, reducing counter and that was a bit of work that was a waste. But, yeah, little things like that that you just don't even think about that, of course, a web guy in Brisbane wouldn't have any understanding of. It was a sure learning curve for them and for us and at the end of it they said they felt pretty confident they could um, – become graziers because they gained so much knowledge about the cattle industry. So, Love it. yeah, it was interesting. We'll be back in just a moment. But now a word from today's sponsor. Today's episode of Life on the Land is brought to you by Blundstone Australia. The iconic boot brand recently celebrated its 150th anniversary. An incredible landmark for the brand, Blundstone has a long history of making the sturdiest, most comfortable and stylish boots for all walks of life. Established in Tasmania in 1870, Blundstone remains 100% family-owned and Tasmanian-based and continues to be shaped by the vision and values of its founders and owners. For over 150 years, their commitment to durability, style and quality has not changed. The Blundstone range includes safety and casual styles for men and women and kids' boots that are easy to pull on and off when on the farm. Blundstone, tested by every generation since 1870. I love the story that you told me about when you launched um, the site in 2016 and I read somewhere that you described it as as being a difficult birth. What happened? Well, we decided to launch the website um, at an event which was World Brahmin Congress um, in Rockhampton. It happens in a different country every year and it was just amazing it was happening in Rockhampton and not far, or not far, like, you know, 600 kilometres from where I was living and 1,000 from Annabelle, but um, in a familiar space and I guess with some familiar people. And um, we launched it there and, oh, gee, yeah, we we had a massive site, like I think 12 by 16 metres or something, and, you know, we decked it out with a mark. well, we're going to deck it out with a marquee and umbrellas and all this stuff and, you know, our new brand and logo and everything we had. And, yeah, so the long and the short of it was um, they established a problem on our website the night before, which meant it couldn't go live the following day because of this issue with these features. Um, and, yeah, we had one of those moments where we wished we'd never started the business, I guess, at about 2am when we realised this. And, uh, yeah, and thankfully the next day we managed to get through the day showing people the website, but we were showing them like the test development site you know that we could always see that wasn't live and because everyone was busy at the conference no one was going on there and you know having a look around our website so we sort of fumbled our way through about three quarters of the day until they 
fix this terrible glitch and um, it was live by the afternoon. But, yeah, it made it pretty stressful for the first day of launch, that's for sure. Not to mention the fact that you hadn't had any sleep. Yeah, we didn't sleep that night because of that problem um, as well. But it was, a, it was one of those learning times in your life that you shouldn't say you're going to release something on a date because it could be something beyond your control. So we learned that since then and have applied that across anything that we're launching. So can you tell me about, for people that don't know, what is cattlesales.com.au and what does it do? Sure. So it's um, obviously a website and it's for advertising and marketing cattle, but it's not actually selling cattle online. It's just the advertising and marketing component. So it's similar to platforms available in other industries like real estate or motor vehicles and trucks. So um, cattle that are coming up at a sale yard or are available in a paddock uh, or coming up on auctions plus um, any which way they're being sold, they can be advertised and marketed uh, on our website and yeah it's got a heap of tools and features like I mentioned the alert system before so it just makes it quicker and easier for buyers to find out what might be out there no matter where they are um, and just really trying to connect um, the cattle industry um, across you know more nationally rather than it just being what's going on at your local sale yard or the local buyers that your agent knows about. And so you're the Queensland finalist for the AgriFutures Rural Woman of the Year. So congratulations on that. It's been a funny Thank year you. to hold that position, I bet. <laughs> yes. How do those two work together? What will what will happen to cattlesales.com.au as a result of that? Sure. So um, we, as part of the um, awards process, we had to nominate either a community or an industry project. And mine is an um, industry project for cattle sales and to build to its current capability. So as I said, it's for advertising and marketing cattle, but um, it's really come to our attention over running it for a few years that there's nowhere for um, stud stock agents to um, run an online catalogue for bull sales so that people going to bull sales can prepare for the sale by looking at a paper catalogue or a PDF one and, you know, maybe going to the Facebook pages of each stud and seeing the photos and videos, but there's no one portal out there for all that to be in one central place. Um, and so we did a bit of research with some of the stud stock agents who use our site to just generally advertise the sales and, um got some feedback from them and we've put together a project build for the um, catalogues um, to be able to be built for stud stock sales, so bull sales essentially or heifer sales. Um, so the project has started um, and, yeah, really lucky and fortunate being the Queensland finalist that um, Westpac's sponsorship and contribution has kick-started the project, which has been great. I suppose the question that I should be asking is, you are still working full-time. This isn't even your full-time job. Yes, that's right. Although when we launched, I wasn't um, working full time. So I can't take credit for pulling off those two things um, at once. It's only been in more recent. But you did have children, um, young children who didn't sleep, right? Yes. But then because they didn't sleep, I could also get more work done, I guess. So. <laughs> Worked out kind of good. Rocking them to sleep with one hand and operating on the mobile phone in the other hand. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> but how did you do that? I mean, uh, t tell me about that. Not everyone can do that. No, and I guess um, that's why Annabelle and I do work so well together in that we're within the same time in our lives, like both had young children. Um, we both like a challenge. Um, we both 
prefer to get a lot of work done late at night and um, both have a lot on our plates. So I guess the good thing about that is we've always known that if one of us drops the ball or something's going on, um, the other one, you know, totally understands and can pick up the slack. I couldn't imagine doing business with someone that didn't have kids, for instance, or just had this as their sole focus. So Annabelle works full-time as well. Um, so we, you know, just very conscious, I guess, that we both, to make it work, um, you know, we we know each other's schedules and um, we use an online app um, to help with our planning and what we're doing and allocating tasks and we get across it together. But, yeah, I'm certainly very fortunate and um, lucky to have Annabelle there and that we have each other to bounce off and to pick up the slack because juggling acts can be hard at times. Like it's it's good most of the time, but we all know sometimes all the balls fall at once. And then, you know, thankfully, generally, Annabelle or I have got some, you know, most of our balls in the air when the other ones drop, so it works out okay in the end. Do you find that due to what seems to be your nature of really going for it most of the time that you do have times where you just fall in a bit of a heap and that's just part of the process? I don't personally, thank goodness, touch wood. Um, I, yeah, and neither is Annabelle. It's more so the external circumstances like, yeah, we've got three kids sick or um, something major going on with our actual paid jobs, um, which means we can't give cattle sales the attention. And I guess the good thing about cattle sales being a website is that it essentially runs itself in terms of the mechanics of it. And, you know, um, people work being on the website, it's all, they, they do it all themselves. So we don't have to be there um, for that to happen. It's just the the marketing and the business building and the web development and other things. So we can sort of slot that in from like 2pm till midnight <laughs> when we can. <laughs> Oh, wow. How did you feel about the fact that you just finished your law degree and that you had started this new project, but didn't you want to become a lawyer? Yeah, so I actually finished my law degree in 2007. So I had a fair few years under my belt um, working remotely for the firm before we launched this in 2015. And I was working part-time that whole time, even after launch. So I was lucky that the idea came along at a time when um, I was only working part-time in my legal career and, yeah, could pull off starting it because certainly launching this and working full-time wouldn't have been possible. It was a lot of work to get it all mapped out and set up and launched. Um, But since then, you know, it's more so just operation and maintenance of it that you can work around um, other work. But, um, yeah, I think... I guess, yeah, it does seem like polar opposite ideas, but having grown up in agriculture and then also my love of law, it seems to just work well together. (laughs) But, yeah, they definitely are polar opposites. So part of becoming a finalist and potentially the Australian Rural Woman of the Year is the leadership piece. And I see your face around often across ag circles. How do you feel about about that and about becoming a real uh, voice and advocate for uh, for ag? I guess I've been fortunate. I've been involved in a lot of things in industry and um, sometimes it's just amazing what the universe um, can throw at you. So I have been, um, yeah, fortunate to be involved with the Ag Force Cattle Board now and a cattle council committee the last couple of years and then I've been doing the true story stuff at ECA and online with um, championing agriculture to consumers and a few other things so it's all been um, really enjoyable and and not even something I really set out to probably do but some of these roles you know you take on and then afterwards realize what a fantastic opportunity it is um, 
I don't know, I think being considered elitist seems a bit, um, uh, I can't place the word that I'm thinking of right now, but I guess for my age, I feel like I'm not leading anyone. I'm just there trying to help the general cause in the right direction, I guess. Um, and being a part of this amazing time in agriculture when we're trying to educate consumers and make the cattle industry a better place and um, fit with all the pressures we've got now with carbon and every other thing. So it's a really exciting time to be involved and um, I'm just trying to be involved in as much as I can, which does lead to me not saying no to things, but I'm getting better <laughs> um, and being a part of that so that, you know, the industry does have a good outlook um, for people like my kids. Totally. Um you am I right in thinking that you wanted to become a prosecutor originally? And does this kind of feel that need or that um, desire of yours? I think in a way it does. And yes, I did want to be a prosecutor originally. And then I guess you get to uni and learn different areas of law and, you know, your, um, your selection can change. And I'm in a completely different area to where I thought I'd be. But um, I, yeah, I've always sort of um, had that mentality of not liking people being misunderstood or hard done by and I don't mean like I could ever be a slip and fall ambulance chaser type of a um, lawyer but I guess I've always just thought if there's a way I can help and improve a situation or fix something or um, you know make it better then I'd like to be a part of that and I and that's um, yeah aligns a lot with the work that I've been doing with Ag Force and with the true story and things because um, you know, the work you're doing is to try and better the industry or or fix misconceptions or issues or whatever it may be. So certainly the, those two ideals, I guess, do marry up a bit between law and, and uh, yeah, doing that with work with industry. Oh, I think it's so good. It's so great. It's such a unique niche thing to kind of specialise in and the skill set seems to be really, really applicable from you. You mentioned, you keep mentioning the True Stories campaign. Can you tell me what's that all about? Um, that was formed in 2018 when the new vegetation management um, laws came in in Queensland and I guess that obviously sparked my interest from a legal perspective but also at the time being in a family agricultural business it was going to affect us and affect the wider um, industry and myself and two other producers decided to um, form an inc- a um, association that could try and get some right messages out there about agriculture and what the facts really were um, but coming from a grassroots voice so from farmers themselves and to work in with what industry bodies like Ag Force and Cattle Council were doing so um, obviously we've got industry bodies doing some of this for us but there wasn't at that time a group of farmers actually speaking directly to consumers and they say farmers are seen as being so trusted but yet our consumers never hear from the farmers themselves and we thought we'll just give this a crack and see if it works with a video that we had done uh, with a professional videographer and we had um our 500,000 people watched it I can't remember the amount of time it was like a week or something and um we launched it at about the night before the um the red legislation was voted on and had a one minute advertisement in the my kitchen reels finals on tv and yeah we sort of went all out to see what we could achieve and and from there it just snowballed into going to the ECA every year with a big interactive site for consumers and kids to learn about where their food comes from and just to speak to real farmers and it was just so amazing for people to say to us wow I've never talked to a farmer or I never knew this like they would just 
flabbergasted what they picked up from us in 10 minutes at our site. And we were also thinking, this is incredible. The people that eat Australian food every day don't know some of this stuff and no wonder, you know, we wind up in such regulatory disasters um, mm. because people just don't understand it, consumers or politicians. So that's sort of how it came about. And um, we missed doing the ECHO last year because of COVID, but we're in the throes of planning it um, for this year and looking forward to August. How do you wind down? Do you ever get to relax? Oh, I do have times when I can, obviously, with the kids and things, but if you classify being with the kids as winding down, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they keep you on your toes, don't they? But, um, but yeah, I really um, make an effort for afternoons after work to spend some time um, with the kids doing what they want to do, whether it's being down the river or, yeah, kicking a ball, going for a bike ride. My kids are pretty outdoorsy sorts of kids, so um, they really enjoy that. And I guess that helps my mother's guilt that we all seem to carry around. You know, if you, you go to work and then you feel guilty that you're at work. But um, so I make a conscious effort to do that. And, and the kids um, are pretty well travelled and enjoy seeing new things and going to new places. So I'm always trying to find something um, that we can look towards planning towards or, or doing and they learn a lot from that and seem to really enjoy it. So I guess my downtime is, yeah, um, mostly doing things with the kids or and I, and I know this seems crazy because cattle sales is a business but be enjoying it so much and Annabelle's the same. We both just really enjoy getting stuck into it and, and doing stuff on it. I love nothing better than having time to sit down and do some stuff on cattle sales, whether that's planning or working on a project or whatever we're doing. So to me, that is downtime because it's not my actual day-to-day job. So yeah, I do have downtime. It just mightn't be laying on a lounge. <laughs> it, it fills your cup. Yeah, it does. Do you have any big dreams for, for cattle sales? Like what, what would you dream that could happen with it? Well, I guess um, it is so scalable because it does solve a problem and you know cattle cattle are in every you know country um so potentially there's even international scaling that's possible but um it's still very much you know we've launched a startup and we're still adding to the website and what we want it to end up um being at this point in time but I guess looking forward um I hope it's something that continues to grow and that can um yeah be there and and scale from what it is now and you know even just adding like the stud stock catalogues that we're adding through the rural women's um, bursary is, you know, another step towards scaling. So I guess looking forward, we've got hopes um, and some goals of where we want it to get to. So we've just got to keep the momentum going and the, the work happening to get there. My final question to you, Alicia, is when you meet someone, how do you introduce yourself? What do you tell them that you are? Because you're so many things. Oh, but... Yeah, so many little things. <laughs> I guess, um, and I'm terrible at remembering people's names, so I usually um, get my name out and have forgotten theirs and then I move <laughs> on from there. But if I was to introduce myself, I guess I'd say that um, I'm a lawyer and an agribusiness owner and a mother to two kids. Well, Alicia, I, I really don't know how you manage all of it so gracefully. It's been delightful to meet you in person and talk over zoom and thanks for joining us on life on the land thanks guy it was really great chatting with you today 
Thank you so much to Alicia for speaking with us for Life on the Land. She is very hard to tie down, but gosh, it was worth the wait. I hope you loved meeting her too. Thank you to our series sponsor, Blundstone Australia. And the autumn edition of Grazy Her is on sale now in your local stockists and also look out for it in selected Coles stores right across Australia. We'll be back next week with another story, the final one for Series 2 of Life on the Land. Mm-hmm.